Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. November 22nd, Sunday School. and Hicks on the topic of the household. Um, all right, well, why don't we open with a word of prayer and we'll get going on this, on this study this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to you for your kindness to us. We're thankful for the Lord's Day, the chance that we have every week to rest from our work, to gather together, to be encouraged and edified, and to gather in your house to meet with you. We ask that you be here with us this morning, that you prepare our hearts and our minds and our bodies for worship, and that um, you would strengthen us and, and encourage us through your word and through this, this lesson this morning. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so, thank you, Tom. Uh, so, uh, we've been doing a study on, well, it's been kind of just basics or fundamentals of the faith, and I'm not sure whose idea was to do one on households, um, and also whose idea was to pick me to do that talk. But I'm, I'm glad. Um, I think the room is probably divided into two groups of people, those who are going to be totally thrown off by what I'm actually going to talk about, and then those who um, are tired of hearing me talk about this. So there's probably, you'll probably fall somewhere in the spectrum. Um, I should acknowledge that, that so much of what I'm going to talk about has come from these two books, especially this book, Man of the House, by C.R. Wiley. Um, which is which is really I've read now several times and have just really been encouraged by it and, and recommend it very highly. Um, and then this is this is a, the the household and the war for the cosmos. Um, and so he kind of lays some foundations here. He kind of he kind of um, strengthens those with this book. Um, so also kind of in the spirit of uh, if you follow Doug Wilson's uh, blog, he's he's got this thing he calls No Quarter November. This is kind of like that, so that's kind of my approach to this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a lot of claims. I don't feel like I've got time to try to flesh out each and every one of them and, and where they come from um, exactly, and so I'm gonna, there's going to be some things that are just, I'm just going to make some assertions, um, and, uh, and we can dive into it later in, in more depth, but I hope that the, just the, the sensibleness of it will sort of resonate. Um, and of course, I'm going to be taking shots at politics and at economics, and education, and gender roles, and all kinds of good stuff. So, um, okay. And so, my goal—I want to just the goal today. My hope is that, that that at the end of this, there will be some sort of that you will be left with some sort of inspiration um, to have kind of a new vision for how to build a stronger home or a stronger household. And I truly believe that if we have stronger households, we will have a stronger church. Um, we'll have stronger uh, economies, we'll have stronger nation. So, so I really think household is really at the core of all of these things. So I'm going to start with kind of definitions. I ran out of printer paper this morning, so I'm printing on. I'm sure you've never done that. 
So the, the first word I want to talk about is a Greek word, um, oikos, um, which, which just means, which is the word in, in the New Testament you hear for household over and over. And it's related to a lot of other words. So um, um, this word that you all know, um, let's see, which, where is it? Okay. Pono uh, mia. Uh, this is this is economy. So it's 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 from the same word. Uh, the household and economy are come from the same word, um, and it's and it's not. Um, it, it, this would be better translated as household management. So economy is really about managing a household. Um, so it's not necessarily fundamentally about making money or doing business or or, or commerce explicitly. It's really about household. Um, in Matthew 21, verse 33, Jesus um, tells this parable about a, uh, about a, a landowner. And, he, and the word he uses, he says, there's a certain householder, is how uh, KJV translates it. In the ESV, it, it translates that word as uh, master. And uh, in the NASB, it, it translates it um, as landowner. And actually, it's crazy. I looked this word up in an uh, interlinear um, an interlinear Bible, and uh, and it had a it had a, sorry, I can't multitask. So uh, despotis, um This word is the word that it's used there for landowner, for master, for uh, for uh, master, landowner, householder. And then actually when I looked it up in the interlinear, the actual word they put on there was CEO. So just so so like a modern translation of this word is really like CEO. So all these are defined as house master. Titus 1.7 talks about the qualifications of a of a bishop or elder, or the, the Greek word is presbyter, um, presbyteros, or presbyte, uh, something like that. Um, some conjugation of that. It says that he must be blameless as a steward of God. And that word steward is, again, this word. It's the same word for, for uh, a, a house master. So this idea, again, that the house and, um, and the, 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 the central idea here of, 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 of running your house is, is all kind of tied together with stewardship and really the church. The leadership of the church must, must be done by men who are are these kinds of men. Um, a couple others, and we'll move on. 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5, talks about one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Again, house is the word oikos. Um, the church is ecclesiastes. Um, and again, it's the home, the household, is where an elder learns how to be a, a bishop or, a, or, or a, a ruler of the church. So the thing that we see in Scripture when you see this word used is, um, and you see it in the Old Testament too, is a household is not kind of what we typically think of a household being. It's not um, the place with four walls where you sleep and you eat and you recreate, and that's, and that's the definition. The definition in Scripture that we hear and we see in, in the ancient world more so um, is much is much broader. Um, in Genesis 14, you see it says, "Now when Abraham uh, Abram learned heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house." Um, so so Abraham had three over 300 men 
in his home, in his household, that he was able to muster to go to war. So clearly, his idea, that idea of a household is, is different from the way we think about what a household is. So, so what, what I want to try to start to give you somewhat of a vision for is, is thinking of your household as more of a small kingdom, um, a, a, an economy, um, and it's, it's actually a productive place. Um, and this definition has been lost in our society, and I think uh, our society is built on uh, the metaphor that, that like Plato uses for, for, for politics. The two, the two metaphors we hear in scripture about the, the church are a body or a household. Christ is the head of the household. Christ is the head of the body. Plato talks about, about the body politic and uses the same metaphor. Um, so these, this metaphor of, of, of our, that, that Plato uses is, is really, um, a government is really a household of households. There's this structure, um, but, the, but the fundamental structure is the household. And we've kind of divorced that completely. And, and we think about, a, you know, about, about politics as this individual thing. It's all about individuals. And a household, that, that concept just lost all of that connotation, all of that meaning completely. So that's a little bit of, of just uh, background on the actual words and kind of the definition of household. Um, I'm going to jump around to a bunch of different things because I just want to try to get a bunch of things out, and then we can talk about them further and, and, and maybe in other conversations. But um, one concept I want to talk about quickly is um, this idea of fragility um, versus um, robustness um, versus uh, anti-fragility. So this is a Nassim Taleb is a um, is a, a scholar in Lebanon is just a, a tremendous um, mathematician and he talks about uh, risk and he talks about decision making under uncertainty and he talks about this idea uh, of, of the difference between something that's fragile and something that's anti-fragile so so when we think of fragile we think of like the china right and, 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 and the, the dishes right um, those are fragile they come under any sort of stress they break and they're ruined um, something like a rock Right is 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 robust. The thing, though, about a rock is a, a rock is not anti-fragile. A, a rock, if you put it under enough stress, it'll it'll break. Um, and 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 stress doesn't make a rock stronger. So something that's truly anti-fragile is actually something that gets stronger when it goes through stress, which is which is unusual. It's kind of hard to think about what like what what does that? Well, our bodies are actually a, a good example of, of, of something that is anti-fragile. If you send a person to space where they don't have the, the, the stress of gravity, right, working on their bodies, their bone density starts to deteriorate, their, their muscles start to atrophy. So our bodies actually, to a point, stress actually makes our bodies better. And actually, you think about like the immune system, the immune system works the same way. You need a certain level of of, of contagion and disease and, and bacteria and parasites, all of those things actually can help your 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 uh, immune system sort of work out and get stronger. Um, so our bodies have have this kind of anti-fragile uh, idea. I'd argue that a, an author of a book um, is a is a really great example of something that's anti-fragile. One of the best things that can happen to a, the author of a book is for it to be placed on the banned book reading list of someone's right. If you want to sell copies, make someone angry, and, and, and have your book come under attack, that's going to be a great way to sell a lot of, a lot of books. Um, I'd argue that Trump is anti-fragile, right? He's sort of 
leaned into controversy during his whole term, and, it's, and it seems to have served him pretty well. I also argue that the church is anti-fragile. So I think we, uh, as the church goes through suffering, it goes through trials, we actually get stronger. We actually get more robust. And this is kind of the secret hidden trick of the kingdom, is that is that you kill Christians and we get stronger. We, we, we rise, we, we are resurrected, and we and we join together. And so in the same way, and there's a lot of other examples, and I won't keep going, but, but I want us to think about how can we make our homes, our households, anti-fragile? Not, not just more robust, but actually the kind of organizations that, that can not only withstand um, trial, but actually can, can thrive and, and get stronger. There's a lot of different things to talk about there. And I won't get into it, but but one concept is covenanting. Covenanting with other families is one way that, that our our households become stronger. Um, you think about living in a in a society or a time where you know an ancient time where you don't have police, right? Um, one of the first orders of business when you set up a home is food, shelter, water, and then you got to go covenant with some neighbors. Like, hey, I will, you know. May, may I be put to death if I don't come get your back, if there's some marauding bandits that come attack you, and you do the same for me. Cool? Let's shake on it, right? Um, that's, that's the idea of covenanting, and that's the, that's the kind of robustness that, that, that really kind of transcends just, just being robust, really really creates an a anti-fragile household. So I'm going to move on. Let's take a sip. Because I want to talk about capitalism and slavery. So, as all of this relates, um, so you don't have to be, it's, you, you can be uh, for free trade um, and also critical of capitalism at the same time. Those are not, those two things don't necessarily, they're not connected, okay? I mean, they're, they're related, but they're not inextricably connected. Um, and, and especially um, crony capitalism, which I think is a better definition of, of, of the kind of economy that we find ourselves in. And by crony capitalism, I really just mean an economy where um, it has become more and more common and, um, and this whole political apparatus is in place to enable, um, to enable businesses and industries to capture their economy and protect it from competitors. So, so you think about, um, I, I'm in the healthcare industry, there's tons of this in the healthcare industry, where there's regulation after regulation after regulation that's, placed, that's put in place to kind of prop up the current model and to keep new competing models, whether they be different kinds of, of medical providers, or whether they be different kinds of, of, of uh, medicine even. Um, there's, there's all kinds of regulations in place that make it kind of impossible for someone to innovate and create a new solution, right? Um, you see this in, you know, you see this in building. You can't, you can't build a house without, without getting licenses in a lot of cases, and, 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 or, or being an electrician. Um, and those are things that, that there's always some kernel of good and truth in it. But, but there's this. Uh, I, I watched a documentary about brewing beer in America, and there's this whole elaborate system in place where. Where, and there's always these uncommon uh, friends. Uh, you've got the Baptist and you've got the bootlegger. You know, who become strange allies because the Baptist wants to wants to you know, prohibit alcohol, and the bootlegger wants to keep it prohibited as well because they both 
the, the bootlegger profits off of it, and the Baptist obviously kind of joins forces. So you get this 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 phenomenon of economics where where you've got this these alliances to to kind of co-opt um, the authority structure of the government to protect an economy, a, a, a market. And so, um, where the, ref, the, the, the government should be a fair referee who's trying to, to kind of encourage um, a level and free playing field, um, you get this. So the reason I bring this up is, is that, um, is that um, there's, so, so there's, a, there's an author named uh, Hilaire Belloc, um, who was a contemporary of, of, uh, of G.K. Chesterton's, who wrote a book called The Servile State. And he argues in the book that slavery is really the natural state of the economy, that the, the institution of slavery is something that has always existed, um, and, and he argues always will exist. It's really, it's really almost an inescapable concept. Um, the furthest, that the, the best that... that, that um, civilization, civilization has done to, to do away with slavery uh, was really the Middle Ages, where Christianity took you know, the master and, be, and, and, and turned the master into a lord, and took the slave and turned him into a serf. And, and instead of there being um, this concept of, of just total indentured servitude, it was more of an arrangement where I'm giving you this land as the master. I'm giving it to you. I'm putting it into your charge. It is yours now. You have the paper with the signature on it that makes it yours and your family's. Um, and you just owe me you know, a, a, a tribute. You owe me some sort of, of tax, essentially, on that property. So that's kind of the further, I, I think that's the most, that, that's kind of, and that took hundreds of years, but, but to kind of, to, to transform this concept of slavery into something that I think is a, is a far more Christian uh, kind of system, um, but what we've got is 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 that all slavery isn't bad, um, just just on its face. So there's 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 the kind of slavery we had in America, which I say I would say it absolutely was bad in the sense that it was it was man stealing, it was indenture, it was it was chattel slavery. These 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 human beings were treated like property, um, and uh, and were stolen from their families against their will. All of those things are. are absolutely evil, and we don't have to look very hard to find condemnations of those things in Scripture, but we do find a lot of things in Scripture talking to and about slavery that are not condemnations. We wish they were, to our modern sensibilities, uh, but, but, they, but they mostly say, hey, servants, you know, honor and respect your authorities, masters, honor and respect your servants. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a, a biblical concept there. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because I think that when we, when we ask what really is the definition of slavery, slavery is really um, the, a, a contractual relationship where you trade all of your time, most of your time, most of your waking hours for, for a subsistence. Okay? So, so you think about if you're somebody who's poor on the street, maybe you don't have family, maybe you don't, maybe you're, you're, the father of the house has been injured and can't work. You think about that situation, you have the option of, of being, you know, indigent and without a home, homeless, or you have the option of saying, hey, I'm going to sign on to this household and work in this household, and they're going to, they're going to put a roof over my head, and they're going to, they're going to take care of me and bring me in. Um, that's kind of the, the, the idea. Um, 
But what we, but but the definition, if you if you define it that way, as slavery is um, trading all of your time and money, uh, excuse me, all of your time for a subsistence. I think I think we'll, you'll be hard pressed to find many people in modern society. Um, I, I'd say most of us um, who don't really fit that description. Um, we are we may have a really awesome subsistence. We may have. Um, nice things and live in a lot of comfort, but we're doing the same basic deal, right? Where we're saying you get exclusively employer all of my time, I won't go work for anybody else, um, and you'll give me a subsistence. We agree to what that subsistence looks like and we renegotiate over here, but it's basically a slavery kind of arrangement. And that's what Hilaire Belloc is arguing for is that, is that capitalism as, as we know it today is really just a transition um, economic model back to slavery. It's, it's, it's taking what we had in, in the middle age kind of distributive system and converting it back slowly back into slavery. There's another term that's helpful, um, proletariat, which is which I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh no, Karl Marx. Um, it's an older word than Karl Marx. It, 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 it just means somebody who doesn't have productive property. Somebody who doesn't have the ability uh, to generate income or money um, on their own, right? And so, again, there's a lot of us that that applies for. We're, we luckily live in a free country where we can all, at any point, go out and start a business, um, buy property, potentially, and, and start to generate wealth ourselves. But you still meet that, that, that definition if you, if you currently do not have the ability to say, with or without an employer, I'm good, I've got... I've got property of my own that generates income. Okay, and so, and so, um, so I think it's an important concept, and it's an important thing for us to to, to just kind of let sink in. Um, I think most of us would qualify as proletariat at some level, and most of us would qualify probably as slaves at some level. And um, and I think um, this is where the household has a lot of potential. Um, to to uh, make an impact on our lives and on, on the world around us. So one more idea is that I'll just mention um, as I talk about slavery, and that's um, a couple things. So the problems with slavery, and the problem, and the problems with with um, with what I'd say big you know, big corporations. I really don't believe that that large corporations. Um, no, let me put it this way. I think large corporations hate families, generally speaking. I, I think um, if you were to look at large corporations critically, um, you're going to find in most cases they, they hate families. And, and, it's a, and sometimes it starts with the best of intentions and the best of, the best of, um, of aspirations. So we want to be a big family. We want to help people. Um, but, but over time, if you observe, uh, observe corporations, there's always this long, slow slide away from away from um, anything that really helps and supports and blesses families. They would, they would like um, their people to be single. Um, if they're going to be married, they prefer that they um, not have children. Um, if you have children, they prefer that you put them in daycare and keep working and keep coming in. Um, and, um, and so I, I, think, I think it's important uh, to see that if, that if we can, can they, they would, a corporation would, would love to see, another way that, that I think they hate families is that corporations would love to see their employees 
keep up with the Joneses. You know, if, if you stay in that mode of consumerism and always keeping up with the Joneses, buying things, um, getting over leveraged in debt, um, you will you will um, you will remain totally dependent upon your your job, and more and, and a lot of times you have more anxiety and stress about keeping the job, um, and and really debt uh, especially is is incredibly uh, uh, fragile, right? It's it's kind of the opposite of anti fragile. If you have debt hanging out there, you are always in this state of of potential doom, right? And it's a great way, I mean, if I talk to physicians all the time, we think about physicians who just make so much money, and they do, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, um, but they're also, they, they also graduate from, from medical school usually with two, three hundred thousand dollars in debt, and they're stressed out. I mean, they're always stressed out. And, and they gotta keep up with the Joneses. They gotta keep up with all of my physician friends who all have boats and vacation homes and everything else. And so, keep kicking that, that can down the road, and it keeps you kind of a good little boy um, in, the, in the corporate structure, in the hospital in this setting, in this example. Um, so I just wanna, I, I want to, I want to encourage you to think about the idea that, um, that um, becoming a, the, the, by becoming a society that's primarily comprised of families who don't own any productive property and that are mostly slaves, um, it, it, albeit, very comfortable slaves, right? I'm not saying that any of us are, 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 are slumming it. Um, but by becoming a family, a, a society that's made up of primarily those kinds of people, we, we are so, we as the church and as individuals are so easily manipulated. And, and, we're, and we're also easily scared, we're, we're often very scared to say or do things publicly that might offend our employer, for example. And so, you just imagine if you owned your own business outright, um, the, the kind of freedom you would have to say, look, I'm gonna do this the way I wanna do it. And if I don't want to, if I, if I wanna celebrate a certain holiday, I'm gonna celebrate a certain holiday. If I don't wanna celebrate a certain holiday, I'm not going to. It's my business, I get to do with it what I want. Um, that's the kind of society and world that I think our nation was built on, is built on the assumption that we had a bunch of families, households, that were independent and free. The other thing about slavery is that slavery, Jeff talked a couple weeks ago about virtue, and slavery is not a great um, uh, teacher of virtue, okay? It's, 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 it's a teacher, you, know, you, you learn humility, you learn obedience, and those things are good in their place. But when you think about, um, about the things that, um, the habits, our current habits that are not towards the good, to use the definition that, that, that Jeff used, um, and, and ask yourself, which habits of mine do I have that are not towards the good? To me, the things that come to mind are excessive leisure and laziness, right? Gluttony, carelessness about my finances, I'm frequently convicted about that, a consumer debt, lack of initiative and leadership, ignorance, Right, just and disengagement from what's going on in the city, or involvement in, in my city's politics. Um, all of those things. Um, Jeff talked about taking cold showers as a as a as a small way to sort of expose yourself to some pain and, and develop some virtue, some, some bravery, or whatever whatever that might do. Right, owning property, owning a business, is an excellent uh, teacher uh, of those kinds of virtues. You learn thrift, right? You learn 
uh, the value of hard work. You learn the responsibility of ownership. Um, you, you have to actually get engaged with the city and, and get an understanding of what are the laws and regulations that are involved and which of them are unfair and unjust and should I maybe stand up and say something about this because it affects me now because I have a business. Um, so all of these things, I want to I commend to you that, that, that owning property, owning a business, um, these are all things that, that help train us in, in some of these virtues. So why am I talking about all this? Um, it's 9.52, so we're, we're in good shape. What time am I supposed to wrap up? Okay, cool, we've got another 20 minutes. So really quick, I want to do an interactive thing. Um, we all know, we all know about Ephesians 5. Right, and the roles of husbands and wives is something that we talk about a lot. I want to talk a lot about that for a minute. So really quickly, um, I'd love to just have you shout out a few specific examples based on what you know. No cheating. Don't pull out your Bibles. But just, and, and I'll limit this to two or three or four. Shout out for me just, just, just a, a few things that to you are, are duties and activities, things that you think a dad should be doing in his role. Changing diapers. <laughs> okay. What kind of things, based on what we know Scripture says about a dad, what, what kind of things should a dad be doing? Training his children. Training his children, excellent. Loving his wife. Loving his wife, fantastic. Working, like providing. Providing, thank you. Yes, absolutely. Providing. Protecting. Yeah, protecting another one. So I'll, I'll shut it down there. Okay, so we, so we, I, I think those are all excellent answers. Um, I don't know what the diaper will, but the rest of the So so let's move to, to moms, okay? So so again, no cheating. What are what are what are you know if, if dad's supposed to protect, provide, train children, all those things, what's a mom supposed to do? Cook. Cook? Nice one. Very nice one. Good job, Tyndall. Cook? What else? Guide the house. Excellent. Nurture. Fantastic. Help provide and protect. I like that. Help. Okay, I'm going to read. Um, this, these are all good. These weren't trick questions. Um, but I do want us to listen to the to, to what Scripture says about the virtuous woman, right? And, and again, that word virtue comes up again, right? Um, so, so Proverbs 31, I won't read the whole thing, I'll just read, it's long, but I'll, I'll read bits of it. Who can find a virtuous wife? Her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She seeks wool and flax, and willingly works with her hands. She's like the merchant ships, she brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night, and provides food for her household, and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profit, she plants a vineyard. She perceives um, that her merchandise is good. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. She opens her mouth with wisdom. On her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the, the bread of idleness. Charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, but, the, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. So, all the responses were great, but there were a few things I didn't hear anybody say. 
okay? Um, I didn't hear anybody say she should be investing in real estate, right? Um, and that she should be taking the profit from the real estate that she, the, the real estate deals that she did and, and, and start a vineyard. I didn't hear anybody say any of that, um, right? Um, I didn't hear that she should be uh, involved in charity and philanthropy. You know, the virtuous woman is, right? Um, you know, um, nobody mentioned anything about creating products and selling them, right? But she does. She creates linen. She makes linen garments and she sells them. She's out in the marketplace creating products and selling them. Um, she's generating income, right? Um, her husband, nobody talked about her husband, uh, you know, enabling her husband to be active politically, right? Um, but this, this woman's husband is, is actually one of the town elders, um, and, and this pastor is saying it's because of his wife, really, that he's able to do that. Um, nobody mentioned managing her servants, her employees, but, but this does. Um, uh, she's, she's providing food for her family and for all of her maidservants. So there's a lot here, but, but I just think, I, I hope that this kind of gives you a little bit of a sense of how far I think we've gone in our current understanding of the household, and especially the role of the wife in the home. Um, and, and there's a couple reasons for it, uh, I think, if we look historically, right? So, so if we look at the Industrial Revolution, um, which isn't all that long ago, but at the end of the Industrial Revolution, dad left the home, right? Left, they sold the farm moved to the city, dad left the house and the kids and went to the office or the factory, right? So dad's out of the house, out of the picture, the home is no longer the place where his, his central kind of role is, it's somewhere else. Um, and then government schools, right, um, kicked in, and, and so now all the kids have left the home, right? And so they're all being educated outside of the home. And so, and so what's mom to do, right? I mean, you've got a mom who's, who's concerned with She's committed to obeying all that Scripture tells her, being obedient to God, um, applying Christ's lordship to every area of her life. And she hears these verses about, about submission and about a woman. You know, 1 Timothy 5 says, speaking to, to young widows, it says, um, so I would have younger widows marry their children and manage their households, right? And so, again, you think manage your household. We well, have yeah, cooking, cleaning. I mean, that's the, stuff, that's the work of the household. But it's but it, it certainly is, and there's certainly seasons where that's a, a almost all-encompassing work, right? But um, but so is all this other stuff, right? Um, you know, Titus two three and five says, older women, likewise, would be reverent in their behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So we want to submit to these things, um, but I think our, our view of household and the purpose of a household has been completely, the rug has kind of been completely pulled out from under us. And mom, I think, rightly so, has been left at home. It's, in a lot of cases, when the kids leave, especially, pretty frustrated, pretty frustrated, aimless, um, without a whole lot of purpose, right? Um, if, if, if any read, you know, um, Jordan Peterson has been so influential. Um, this is what he's talking about, and it's, it's really been directed to men, but it, it applies absolutely equally to women. Men who don't have purpose, who don't do meaningful work, are depressed, and they ought to be. That's depressing. That's lame. The worst thing is do something meaningful, right? That applies to women, too. Um, um, and so it's, it's not enough 
to, and, and, and I think the biblical view, it's not enough to just stay at home. Um, it's, it, if you're doing what the virtuous woman is doing, you're actually building an empire. Your home is not like this place that you go and kind of hide out in. It's, it's actually, it's, it's kind of the base from which you're launching, you know, all of these different ventures, and you're building up this thing that is you and your families, right? Um, okay. I do want to point out that verse in, in uh, 1 Timothy 5.14, speaking to young widows and how they should be remarried, and it says they, they need to manage their household. So again, I just think that language, when we hear manage your households, it's very different, you know, when you start thinking of it through this lens uh, than the lens that I think all of us are used to. Um, okay. So, so I, I, I want to just again, real quick, to wives, I want I want to just give you some sort of vision and something to think and pray and, and discuss more. But um, you know, husbands, when you're when you're um, asked what does your wife do for work, the appropriate response, hopefully, is she's a household executive. She runs she runs our household, our empire, right? And and so there's there's a difference between a head um, and a manager. Right, so so you know, a head. Um, I think of like the board of directors. I, I work for a company. We have a board of directors. They're the head of our business ultimately, right? They take the responsibility. They take a fiduciary responsibility for the decisions that are made in our company. So ultimately, if someone gets sued, uh, it's going to be them, right? Um, but but I'm I'm the executive. I'm the guy that they've said, hey, I'm putting you in charge of this. You you take all these resources. And, and, and we're expecting you to do something with it, turn a profit on this, right? In the same way, I think, I think that's, that is, is much more, I think, the role that, that biblically our, our wives are called to than, than I think what, than just being you know, barefoot and pregnant and in the kitchen, right? Which I think is, I think, a, a, a severely truncated view of, of the role of, of, a, of a woman. Um, and, and, and I'll just testify you know, to my virtuous wife, um, you know, there's never been a moment in our my career, I, I, I can't even not say my career, it's, it's our career, um, there's never been a moment since we, we were married that she wasn't intricately involved in every decision I was making. You know, part of our routine in our home, when the kids go to bed, when we've kind of got things under control, or, or maybe while she's making dinner, we're talking about the day, we're talking about the moves that we're making as a business, and she's my first confidant, the very first person I go to and talk to, and she's she's briefed. She's been briefed on everything, and so she actually has value to add when I'm going, I'm thinking about making this move or this move, what do you think? And usually, I mean, like 90% of the time, she's spot on, and I, and I, and I go the direction she, she advises me to go, because, because she's, she, I, she's part of the team, she's part of the, the household. Um, the other thing that I want to encourage, and I'm going to move into kind of dads here, um, is, is dads investing in the household. So, so really quickly, my friend Rod Olt um, has this talk he gives. I say friend, he's an older man, he's a mentor of mine. Um, and he gives this talk about the seasons of a man's life. And I'll just give you the really fast, really, really fast, um, really, really fast overview. He basically says that, over time, uh, your energy as a man when you're young is here, and it does this, right? Just over time, as you get older, this happens to your energy, right? Uh, but as a man, 
um, over time, your responsibility does this. So you become, you know, you have kids, you buy a house, you get promoted in your job, you get involved in your church leadership, et cetera, et cetera. This right here, in, in, for the aviation guys, um, if, if, you're, if you are uh, below, uh, below this, this energy line, you know, when, you, when you hit this point, this is what they call being behind the power curve. This is when a, like a plane crashes into the back of, a, of an airline, of, of, a, of a, what's it called, uh, aircraft carrier, right? Because they're behind the power curve, they don't have enough speed or lift to, 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 to carry them on. Um, this is when, for most men, this is when they buy the sports car, right? Um, this is when they they grow up a mullet and 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 buy the motorcycle, right? It's when it's when they reach that point where they go, what am I doing? Like, what what am I doing with my career? Do I even want to do this job anymore? I'm 45, you know, 40. I mean, it's different for every guy, but there's a point where you go, I've just kind of been doing this. I've been kind of on autopilot. I've been just 100% focused on this job. And I don't even know if I want to do it. Like, I don't even know if that's something I enjoy. And, and I've still got this much left to go. Do I want to do this for another you know, 20 years? Um, and this is when guys kind of freak out, right? And, and, and I would say the reason they freak out is a couple things. One is they don't take enough risks early in their career. Um, they're not doing this thing. I mean, Bethany, I, I love this about Bethany, um, is most of my friends, when they talk to their wives about career stuff, their wives bring a lot of, frequently will bring a lot of anxiety and a lot of caution, right? Um, Bethany's been the opposite. I mean, for most of my career, she's always going, I don't think you're happy. I don't think you're good at what you're doing. You should quit. Let's do something else. And I'm like, well, what are we going to do next? I don't know. I'll provide. We'll figure it out. You know, you should quit. You should, you should stay there. Like, okay, yeah, you're right. Let's do that. Um, that's so empowering for me as a husband to, 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 take, to take these leaps of faith and have a woman who's going, I have a vision for our household and for our, the kingdom that God is building through our family, and and I don't want to waste any time doing something that's not that's not the highest best use of our talents and our skills, right? And so and so coming back to this, I think a man who has this freak out, um, one, he hasn't taken a lot of risks and hasn't, hasn't really discerned and found his calling, and so he gets here and he goes, do I even feel called to this work? I think another thing that happens with this man is his wife has just been on the sidelines. His wife's been on the sidelines, and she's actually been burned out in her job um, and not had a vision for where this thing's going. It's just been diapers and laundry and, and thankless work. And there's been no, you know, um, is, it, is, it, uh, is it Isaiah who says, without a vision, the people perish? Solomon? So that 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 that's been a that's been a phrase of ours over and over is without a vision the people perish. You gotta know where you're headed. You gotta know where this thing's going. And and when you're in the trenches doing the diapers, doing the laundry, it's it's monotonous, it's stinky, it's 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 tiring. You've got it, it's it's that vision of the purpose of what we're doing that really keeps you motivated. It's not motivated just so you'll keep doing the work, but you're moving towards something. So, um, a couple other comments on this is, okay, so I just, I want to encourage men uh, to be critical about your career and be critical about um, your calling, um, not just as an employee or a, a professional man, 
But as the head of the household, you've got a wife who's, been, who's the household executive. She needs a head to, to help to strategize and plan with her. When I sit down with my board at board meetings, it is incredibly stressful for me because I usually know I'm going to get grilled and I'm going to get busted on something that I'm not, I hadn't thought about. But I desperately need that. I need to know I've got people who have vested interests, who are going to ask hard questions, and who are going to help redirect and, and challenge me to be critical about what I'm doing. How am I using my time? How are we investing our money? How are we making sure that we're doing the best, making the best moves we can, given the information we've got? So I think just encourage husbands to, to, to see your role as that. Um, it's not, you know, uh, the, the role of a father uh, and the authority that a father has, like somebody said last week, is, has been relegated to really just who has the power to decide what we get to watch at night. You know, who gets control of remote control, which is just absurdly, uh, ridiculously small view of, of headship, right? Um, so I'll stop there on that, on that point. The other thing I want to mention is children. So... So, um, a couple things. An empty nest, scripturally, is a bad thing, okay? Um, so, so, and, and your, 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 your young men are supposed to leave the home, leave to a wife. Um, but the idea of them leaving the, leaving the household in, the, in this broader sense is actually a, a, a generally not a good thing. I mean, there's, 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 there's situations where men are called to go do other things, but when you think about like the prodigal son wanting his inheritance and, and taking it and leaving, that was a bad thing, right? Um, the, the, the thing that you're hoping your son will do is that as they're, as they're becoming old enough to work, they're coming alongside dad and mom in running this household, this, this empire, um, right? And, um, and I think our view, just the word inheritance for most of us, it's kind of been been limited to what uh, money is going to be left over when they liquidate my parents' assets after they die, and by then I'm already going to be retired, so it doesn't really matter. It's not really a big deal. You know, it's like whatever the nursing homes have taken. Um, and, and, and that's not at all, I mean, we see scripture, it's not at all the way inheritance functions. It's, it's something that the, the boys, in, in particular, um, are actively preparing to take over, um, not like when they're 65, but when they're like you know, 20, right? Um, and, so, and so again, um, thinking about your children and their gifts and their callings and their interests, that's part of the equation that you're doing. Is you're as a head and as an executive, you're going, what resources do we have? What talents do we have? What gifts do we have? How do we bring this into a strategy and a plan and a direction that's going to result in, in, in our, our empire growing and being more productive and, and, and providing more um, wealth uh, to the world around us, providing more charity to the, to the city around us. It gets our, 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 um, our family involved in local politics and shaping the actual culture and policies and laws of our community. Those are things that, that, that the successful, productive households end up with a seat at the table, right? Um, where the slaves aren't, right? They're not, they're not in the room making the decisions, right? And, and I think we, all things being equal, we want to be, we want to pray that what, whether it's us and our generation or our children or our great-grandchildren, we should all hope that we're moving, our, our, our household is moving in that direction. 
um, towards greater towards greater um, a dominion, right? And it's, it's dominion. It's taking dominion of the world. So, so I'll just end with a couple points of, of application. And then we can open it up. I, we're, we're, what'd you say, 25? No, 15? 15, okay, we got three minutes. So, um, so the, the, and this is mostly just review. So I just want to encourage you to think bigger and more long-term about your households. Um, it's a multi-generational enterprise, right? Um, so think of it that way. Think, think long-term, think multi-generational. Um, it's not about your, you know, 40 or 50 working years, whatever that is. It, it's, it's much, much bigger than that. It's not just nine to five. It's, it's, it's all the rest. Um, I want to encourage husbands to get your wives engaged in your work and in your careers, um, and also engage and, and, and in partnering with you to take stock of your assets as a family. And that includes career, that includes your talents, that includes your skills, your interests, etc. And pursue building a robust household. Ask, what is the highest, best use of my wife's talents um, in order to build our household? Um, I also want to encourage you to think about how you and your family, and I didn't talk about this much at all, but, but how can you start pursuing a productive household today? Um, how can you acquire productive property, create productive property? It might be a Bethany I talked last year, we almost pulled the trigger on this, and we still might. We're going, to, we're going to start a, 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 a screen printing business in our garage because it's like we got sons, uh, some of them are artistic, you know, it's, it's they're cheap labor, right? Um, it's, it's, it's something that, there's some, Bethany's artistic, she, she has a degree in fashion, so it's like, okay, that could be something that we can apply these skills and interests and we can make stuff and we can sell it and, and create a side hustle. Um, I, I think every man, I mean, I'll just, every, not every man, every household, I think should should generate income in, in at least two ways. Should have at least two income streams coming in, maybe, you know, ideally more. But just where else are you generating and building income? Most people have a 401k, right, that's generating some income. So that's that's definitely one. It's pretty passive, right? And it's not um, and it's it's not engaging everybody else, right? It's usually kind of a thing that's happening in the background. So so that's one, and do that. But but also, how, how can we get the whole family involved in generating income and being productive? And, and again, the goal of this is not about wealth. Uh, that's, that's not the goal. The goal is, is having productive households um, and, and a, a, obtaining productive property that stays in your family, that, that anchors your family to one another, to a place. Um, it's far too common that you know kids graduate and just just all go everywhere because there's nothing to stay for. There's no there's no there's not an empire that is theirs to inherit. Um, why would I stay? Um, so so just encouraging you guys to be thinking about how can we how can we involve our kids in uh, in that vision and in the work that we have with uh, building our house. So I'll stop. We've got no time, but if I'm happy to answer one or two questions if there's any anything we can.
who just, you know, yep. if I say, they, they don't want her advice, they want a, a, a rubber stamp yes. saying, okay, you're on board, good, let's, let's yep. go. So, yep. and I know you were not saying No, it's that, a good word, but this is not a, this is not a call for our wives to say, look, I'm bold, why can't you get bold also? Right, right. Just depending on the personality yep. of your yep. as well. Yeah, you want, I mean, God's got the, your wife, I mean, I, I think of Bethany is, her title is household executive, but she's also, you know, wife of the CEO of Sycamore, and that's a title, that's a position, you know, it's 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 wife of the guy that's helping, you know, uh, with this church. The, those are all official roles that, that fall under that, that job title, and she needs to be briefed on all the information that, 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 that she's supposed to be privy to, right? Not, not every last thing. But um, but I, I need to, she needs to have value to add. She has value to add, um, but but, is it, but you're right. Husbands can can do this in a way that really is kind of just a rubber stamp and is not is not actually seriously saying, look, I, I want to get I want to get your buy-in and I want your feedback and, I'm a, and I want to uh, listen to it. I don't know, yeah, please. Well, I do think that, like, when we're talking about it, like, with work, I feel like you don't start on big decisions. It's like right. the little things that you gain trust when you're young. It's like we put on concerts, you know, and by we, I mean Larson. But, like, we would do, there's little decisions where I say, you know, well, I don't think we should do that, and then he might do it anyways, and then something might have gone, and then he'd be like, oh. I probably should have listened to you. So it's like small scale, like real life, where you just sort of gain this trust. And sometimes the opposite. I might think we should do something, and then we do it, and it's good, and it's like, okay. Yeah. You know, so there's this like give and take where you have to let each other fail, and that's like good. Yeah. And not, and, and obviously not be like, I told you so, but right. so I think there's like a relationship you have to develop on this sort of business side of life. That's and great. It, and then it moves deeper and, and bigger. And this moves us, I mean, I think what Bethany's saying is this, this moves us closer to to each other, right? And as a productive team, as I'm, as, you know, she gave the example, we, we used to promote concerts, right? And, and I always say we, and I always say we promoted concerts, we put on music festivals, because there was no way I can take credit for that without talking about Bethany. We would load up all the babies, in the minivan, in their pajamas, and we go around town putting posters up for a concert. I mean, it was it was a team deal. And, and uh, but her bringing her in on all those deals, um, she had engagement, she had buy-in, um, she had some skin in the game, and uh, and she got to she got to reap the benefits of it too. Um, and over over all of these little things, we've become a team that really trust each other, and really depend on each other. And so again, you know, th this is why. Just going to work um, every day and coming back and going to sleep and not doing anything else, you know, if, you, if that's all you do, you're missing this huge opportunity to become one flesh, one mind, one one unit, right, as a, as a couple and as a family. So, great, great one. Okay, well, I'll, I'll end and pray and we can talk some more about this another time. Thank you. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness to us. Thank you for um, this opportunity we had to consider the household, um, your purpose for it. Um, we pray that you would uh, challenge us, Lord, that we, we would uh, 
hear and obey your word, that we would, be, we would have soft hearts and a willingness to apply the scripture and these, these concepts to our lives. And, and we pray that you bless our households. Uh, we pray that our church would be full of robust, anti-fragile households that build your kingdom in Huntsville, but expand the dominion of Jesus Christ in our city. And we ask that you do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you're interested in following us, visit our website at www.trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.